Pastor Ed Taylor challenges the church to rise up. You know, returning to normal kind of implies that things are going to get easier. Things are not going to get easier. I get in my heart that this was a test run of something greater. I get in my heart that this was a test run of what those in authorities could get away with to see what they could get away with. And I believe spiritually it was a test for the church to say, what will you guys do when so many people are in distress? So many people lost lives this year. They lost their jobs. They lost their homes. They lost their purpose. That there's so many people are hurting. Where's the church? We have to rise up and step into the hurt in people's lives so that God could use us. This is amazing grace. From Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, comes another edition of Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor will join us in a second in Nehemiah chapter 2. People in large measure are hurting, angry, or discouraged in light of all that's going on around us. We see evidence of that in the suicide rate, or even just on the looks on people's faces when their masks are off. But it's a golden opportunity for the church to rise up and walk by faith. Nehemiah and the elders we'll read about are a good example of this. Here's Pastor Ed. Nehemiah 2, verse 9. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me, and when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem, and I was there three days. Interesting. This is a beautiful thing because Nehemiah prayed, Nehemiah wept, Nehemiah mourned, and Nehemiah acted. That's often what's left. What's left in your life perhaps right now is for you to act on what God has told you to do, to act on it. You, maybe you've prayed and, and God has spoken to you and you weep, you wept over something and you're just like, okay, so now what's needed is to do it. Like James said, right? That we would have not only faith, but works. That we would do what God has told us to do. That we would step in an obedience. And as soon as he steps out and obeys, what does he meet? And who does he meet? These guys. You could call them enemies of God. Their names sound like enemy names. Have you ever walked through the mall and heard some mom say, Samballot, Samballot, where are you? No, it's just like, Nobody names their kids Sam Ballot or, to well, maybe Tobiah, maybe Toby. But if you're a Tobiah here, be a good one and not a bad one. And then later we're going to meet a guy named Gershom, but he's the Arab and he has been an enemy of God. You know, a lot of times people don't act because they're afraid. They're afraid. The enemy meets you right there, wants to take you down. You see, the enemies don't care about the people of God. When they hear somebody came to help, they're deeply disturbed. In the New Living Translation, it translates that very angry. And in the Message Translation, it tra translates very upset. The enemies of God are upset when you start caring about people. 
If, you, if, if the enemies of God can get you in a place where you don't care about people, then you'll be fine. They'll leave you alone. But the moment you start to care and act, the enemy is right there to push back on you. I don't want people taken care of. I don't want them loved. I don't want, you leave them alone. And a lot of times you don't act because you just don't want to deal with the warfare. The enemies of God don't care about the people of God. While the city was weak and vulnerable, the enemies were quiet. But now there's strong opposition. The opposition wasn't when Nehemiah was in Persia. The opposition happened when he showed up in Jerusalem. You know, whenever you show up in the midst of a difficult situation, the enemy will be there to meet you, to resist you, to discourage you, to accuse you, ultimately trying to destroy you. But don't forget this. The enemies of God don't care about the people of God. And one of the prayers as leaders, pastors and elders this year, one of the prayers that, that we have relied upon is asking God whether this is the mind of Christ. Does this, is, is this the thinking of Christ? Because if it is, then we want to do it. But if it isn't, we don't want anything to do with it. And you can just see some of the decisions and some of the things that are around us, they're just not the mind of Christ. So we don't receive them. I don't accept them. Oh, I know that there'll be times where there may be some kind of mandate that comes around and we need to choose to obey God and not man, for sure. And we've seen that a couple of times this year for us. We're going to choose to obey God and not man, for sure, no problem. But you know, most of the time, that's not the decision that's laid before us. The decisions that are laid before us is simply this. Do you care about people and what are you going to do about it? That's really the decision that comes upon us all the time. Do you really care? Do you really see can you see what's happening? Do you see the plate being set by God for the church to step into people's lives? Can you see that, God, that people are vulnerable and being taken advantage of and being hurt and being, and it doesn't matter who's doing it. What's the church doing to minister to people? What's our church doing? You know, we don't make a big deal about what we do globally as a church. All the churches we support, missionaries we support, all those things. That, 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 that's just the regular life of the church. The real answer is, what are you doing to demonstrate how essential you are in the community? You know, right now the church is in the crosshairs of government. And there are people right now planning and plotting to do great harm to the church. And to want, because when they see the church, they just see a liability. Really, when somebody looks at this church, some government officials, they look at this church, they just see a liability. They just see a piece of property that doesn't pay taxes. They, they, see, they see here that all we do is take from the community and not give. Because they don't see the truth. They don't understand that every single person sitting in this room pays their taxes. I hope. <laughs> but they don't care. Because they don't have the mind of Christ. So when you don't care, you don't have the mind of Christ, what do you expect? What do you expect? I expect the world to be the world, and I expect the church to be the church, and that we not forget that God's called us to plant churches, and we don't forget that God's called us to send missionaries, and we don't forget that God sent us into very difficult places with very difficult circumstances so that we can follow the lead of Nehemiah. Is it possible that even one guy can make a change? Yes, this one guy. He left everything that was comfortable, everything that he enjoyed. And he says, I think God wants me to go help the people in Jerusalem. So I'm going. Now he was planning to come back and indications in Nehemiah that he ended up going back. But he, was, he left. 
He left the comfortable, easy life that he had to go help difficult people. And when he gets there, he finds out it was far more difficult than what was shared with him. Way worse. And yet he finished the task. You know, it was about a year ago, January 4th and 5th, 2020, that I launched off in the new year, 2020, in a series that we called, Into Faith We Go. You guys remember that? Into Faith We Go. Go ahead and quote to me exactly what I said in that first message. Oh, you don't remember. I have my notes right here. Let me read it to you. You ready? Here's the exact line that I started my message off in January 5th, 2020. Second service. One thing God has never allowed us to do is to settle down in places of comfort and ease. 2020. One thing God has never allowed us, and I believe that to be true. It hasn't been anything like this past year, but one thing I've seen in the life of this church is he's never allowed us to settle down in places of comfort and ease. That's always a dangerous place, I said. It's too easy, I said. To settle down in our little areas of comfort and ease and predictability and complacency, idleness and faithlessness, where we think things are okay. We feel like things are going well, but we haven't been in that living, vibrant faith walk with Jesus for some time. So that if we're in a comfortable place and we think things are going well, and we're not in that vibrant faith walk with Jesus, then I said things are not okay. It's not okay to live that way. All the while, Jesus is calling us to come and follow him. And the way to discover God's will, the way to discover God's will is the same today as it always has been, taking steps of faith. Now, one thing we've learned this year is that taking steps of faith is not always dependent upon us and our choices. Many times we are faced with situations that require us to respond in faith or faithlessness. That's a lesson I've seen in a deeper way this previous year. It's not always us. Let's take a step of faith, church. Let's go launch off. You know, we've looked at different things as a church, buying new property, moving from here to another place in Aurora. We've been looking at it and always the doors have been closed for the last couple of years. Because we'll just take a step of faith. We've been trying to buy a third radio station down and the doors have been closed for five years. And don't tell, I mean, really, we've been knocking like you wouldn't believe. And this door slammed in our face. We're taking steps of faith. We want to reach the lost. We want to do more. We want to send more missionaries. We want to send more church planners. And a lot of times we're making those decisions, but God sometimes will allow circumstances to say, hey, will you trust me in this? And here we are at the end of the year having to assess where we are and where we've been. Nehemiah, he shows up and all hell breaks loose. The enemies of God are angry that, hey, while the church doesn't care, while churches choose to stay closed, while churches are filled with people or people don't want to be a part of, they don't want to press in anymore, the enemies of God will quiet down. It's when you rise up and you begin to embrace the call of God upon your life that you can expect opposition. And opposition is, is real. Enemies are real. And you just got to expect it. It's going to happen. It's just the way it is. Can't sidestep it. Notice what happens in verse 12. He says, I arose at night and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. So just pause there for a second. If you haven't marked this, make sure you highlight this. Because I know we've studied Nehemiah in depth, but highlight this. The work of God in Nehemiah was not in his head. It was in his heart. God birthed something inside his emotions, his connection. 
to the living God, weeping and crying and mourning. Those are all emotions, you know. God is not anti-emotion at all. He uses our emotions. And here he is, God's working in Nehemiah's heart. That's the place that only God can touch. A pastor can't touch the heart. A parent can't touch the heart. A grandparent can't touch the heart. But God touches the heart. That's the why prayer is so vital. Praying that God would touch hearts. Even praying up to this message, knowing how challenging it may be for some of us. My heart and my prayer has been, Lord, touch the hearts of your church. Touch the hearts of those on the radio and those watching online. Touch hearts, Lord. That's what we need. We need our heart touched by the Holy Spirit. We need to respond like Isaiah did. It says, here I am, Lord. Send me. Purify me. Change me. I don't want to waste 2020, church, for me personally. And as a pastor, I don't want our church to waste this year. God has taught us a lot of lessons. I know there's this sense of, we want to go back to normal. We want to go back to normal. We want to go back to normal. We're not going back to normal, church. Normal doesn't exist. God is doing a new thing, and he's changing us. Oh, I get it. I would like some more regularity for sure. I would like some of the restrictions to be lifted. Absolutely. But God's not taking us back to normal. He's taking us back to something that's supernatural. He wants us to go above and beyond. He wants us to forget the past, not looking backwards, but looking forward, forgetting those things that are behind and that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I don't know how many years in your whole heart in, the, in this room has been wasted by God, but 2020 could be the first year that the waste ends and you embrace everything that God has for you and learn every lesson and move forward with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, returning to normal kind of implies that things are going to get easier. Things are not going to get easier. I get in my heart that this was a test run of something greater. I get in my heart that this was a test run of what those in, a, in authorities could get away with to see what they could get away with. And I believe spiritually it was a test for the church to say, what will you guys do when so many people are in distress? So many people lost lives this year. They lost their jobs. They lost their homes. They lost their purpose. That there's so many people are hurting. Where's the church? We have to rise up and step into the hurt in people's lives so that God could use us. He comes to Jerusalem, the rest of it, he's looking at everything, he's checking everything out. He didn't tell anybody at verse 16, jump into verse 17. And when I said to them, this is at the end of his, he came, he heard, then he saw. What he saw, he answers in verse 17. You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste. Its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them, verse 18, of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's word that he had spoken to me. And, and let's pause there because, you know, the way to get through tough times is start to tell people how good God has been to you. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine this little testimony? You won't believe what God did. I heard about that, and I didn't know what to do. I wasn't sure. But then I started praying, and I prayed right there, and I just like told him, and he goes, okay, go. And not only did he go, but he gave me letters, and he gave me things, and he gave me money, and he gave me protection. And here I am. Let's do this. God sent me here. You can walk with the authority of God as you walk into people's lives. You could say, man, God has been so good to me and God sent me here for you. I'm here for you on behalf of God. And you see Nehemiah, he was so concerned about the reproach. We want to bring God's glory back. 
We want to bring back people's attention upon not an angry, upset group of people that say, we're the church, we're essential, but rather a group of people that are humble and broken and walking in the pain and problems of others to bring about glory, take away the reproach, and bring about salvation. Isn't that the answer? The answer is save lives. And that's how families change. And that's how communities change. And, and that's how governments change. That, that changes by salvation. <laughs> what is their answer? They said, let's rise up and build. And then they set their hands to do this good work. And that's what I'm asking you to consider, church. Let's rise up and build. I don't know what 2021 brings, 2021 brings as much as you do, but I'm ready to rise up and build. I'm ready to take on the next challenge. I'm ready to walk by faith. I know some decisions will be hard. I know some decisions will be unpopular. That's just the way it is when you're serving God in unpredictable times. Not everything's going to go our way. Not everything's going to happen the way we want. Not everything's going to line up according to our five-year plan or our 10-year plan. But the Lord is just teaching us, you need to trust in me. I think that's a big thing that I've seen too in many people. Like the biggest angst that has been felt among many, to many is that, that they don't have the things they thought they had control over, they really don't have control over. And God's saying, but don't you still trust me? The God that's in control, right? We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. Christians, we're really good at having all these sayings, but then the Lord allows things to come up and say, well, do you even believe the saying? And you go, yeah, I, I, I think I do. And then God says, well, this is what it said. This is what it feels like. You know, you got that little uh, bumper sticker and whatever saying it is. And then the Lord says, well, but this is what it feels like. And you go, yes, Lord, I, I trust you. I stumbled a little bit. I even fell maybe straight away. But though a man fall, he'll rise again. And I'm glad that the leaders and these men said, let's rise up and build. That's not a natural response. It's a supernatural response. What God has been doing in Nehemiah for many, many months now, God was able to do in the elders in moments. God's been working on Nehemiah for a while, but when he comes with the message, they all agree in moments. That's how fast God can work in a life. That's how fast he can change. After years of doing nothing, after years of idolatry, they're under the burden of Babylon. After years of apathy and laziness, in an instant, God sends a messenger and they change. And how quickly think God can take something and change it. So fast. So fast. And it's going to be great. Again, this could be, verse 19 could be, and they lived happily ever after. That's not what it says. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite, Geshem, the Arab, when they heard of it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we as servants will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. You know, the world does hear good things about the church. They do. Definitely. The world does hear good things about Christians, but their response often is mocking, scorn, and making fun of us. They make fun of the book that we believe in. They make fun of the, the way that we carry ourselves, the way that we've been taught to die to ourselves. They make fun of it all. They make fun of it to the point where they start attacking your character and your integrity. 
You have to understand the enemy plays dirty. And oftentimes you face the enemy, not like face to face with the devil, but with some person that's cooperating with his plan. It's usually someone that the enemy has used to try to come against you, like these guys. You shouldn't be surprised of the nastiness of the enemy. He's nasty, man, and he'll go right after you. He'll go right after. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but one of the ways the enemy is attacked is he takes that which you value the most. Let's just say that you consider yourself a very honest person, very trustworthy person, and you, you are. I mean, you're not perfect, but you're very honest, very trustworthy. You, you're reliable. Uh, you know, people are going to, you're going to give them a, you're a straight shooter. You're going to give the truth. You're, that's how you are. So what does the enemy do? He sends people into your life that, that call you a what? A liar. You're a liar. You're, dis you're dishonest. Oh, you don't know everything about so-and-so. And what does that make you do? Get super defensive. And now you're not too concerned about honesty, fidelity, abiding in Christ. Now you just want to defend yourself. And that's a trap. Who cares what the enemy says? If you're honest and trustworthy, let it stand on its own merits. You keep your eyes on the Lord. Let the enemies do whatever they're going to do. And sometimes you have to just go back and go, hey, look, you know what? You're not, what you're saying is not the truth. These guys are lying. I mean, that, that, that's how the enemy works, you know. He, he will say the exact opposite of the truth. Rebel against the king. You Bible students know in Nehemiah. Nehemiah is there with permission and money from the king. He's not there to rebel. He has the full permission. But man, you got to understand as you step into this new year and you start caring, you're going to hit resistance. People are going to flip out and you're going to experience warfare you've never seen before. It might even be in your own home, your own marriage. It, it could be people that you knew. It, it doesn't matter where it comes from. You just got to keep your eyes on the Lord. That's what Nehemiah is like. Hey, nope, you're wrong. You have no heritage here. We're going to go build the wall. I'm not taking my hand off the bricks to mess with you. I'm going to build the wall because the people are vulnerable. You know it. Otherwise, you wouldn't have said anything. And they can see it as these men want to take advantage. They didn't even know what they're talking about. And if you want to study Nehemiah verse by verse, we did a couple studies of the tactics of the enemy. How familiar these things are where they come with ridicule or mocking or making fun of you or lying about you. It's all the same. God has already shown us how the enemy works. And Nehemiah, he responds in God's authority. And we leave here today in God's authority. God will prosper us. And it doesn't matter what you do, God will win. And these walls will be rebuilt. And the temple will rebuild. Worship will return. And we're going to do what God has called us to do no matter what's happening all around us. And my encouragement to you is to stick close to God this year. Abide in Christ. And be deeply concerned about people that have been destroyed by sin. It, it's, it's not going to profit us if we point the finger and go, well, you know, it's their fault. and it's their f it, it doesn't matter whose fault it is. They're hurting. And hurting people... They need to experience the love of God. They need to not only hear it, but experience it. And as we enter into a new year, I know that God, as you stick close to Him and you're deeply concerned about loving God and loving people, He will surely bless and honor that. Amen. You're listening to Abounding Grace and the conclusion of a message from Pastor Ed Taylor called, Church, Let's Rise Up. We hope you were left encouraged and blessed. 
You can hear this message again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through our app. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. We've just released Pastor Ed's new book, God's Help for the Troubled Heart. We all suffer and experience pain, and maybe for you that's been at an all-time high in recent months. God stands ready to help us when we experience a troubled heart. Perhaps you've experienced a deep grief or a painful trial recently, or know of someone who has. I know you'll be blessed and encouraged as you read God's Help for the Troubled Heart. We'll send you a copy with our thanks when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners. And as we begin another year of delivering God's Word one verse at a time, we're looking to our listeners for help. Together, we can reach people with the love and truth of Christ and make a difference in these last days. To make a secure donation, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Tomorrow on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor introduces a new and exciting study in Hebrews. That all starts tomorrow. Don't miss out. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.